Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Foundation by Story Archives. I am your host, Mario Busto, alongside Zachary Newton, your other host. Welcome back. How you doing, Zach? I'm doing great. I uh, I started rewatching this episode again, so loving it. How about did you? you get a, did you get a glimpse of darkness? I did. I got, I got a couple glimpses of darkness and death and despair and Jeez. all of those bad things. <laughs> Did you wake up? I woke up in the middle of the night saying, get over, Mallow. <laughs> I, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night at, and this morning trying to remember how to pronounce that because I have to say, for some reason, that is like the most difficult name for me to say out loud. I always forget it every single time. Hobart. I always get the words mixed up. Well, the name Hober doesn't really uh, exist. so. But it is an epic name. It does feel very, uh, it does feel epic. I will say that. Well, let's hope he lives up to the uh, epic expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Episode two is titled A Glimpse of Darkness. I can only imagine that that title is pointing towards Gale's now newly found almost force-like power where she's able to use her intuition of peering into the future, of feeling the future. Yeah. So much so that she can go 150 years out from her from the current timeline. Yeah, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because I, I, I wrote down that she told a Stranger Things move, which which you had actually mentioned last night um, or on, on the instant reaction, I should say. But um, now that you say it, yeah, it kind of does feel like the force, right? Like you can, you can look back in time or look forward in time and feel these. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see the inspiration here. Yeah, me too. And I'm just glancing through our inbox real quick because we did get a few um, mailers from some of the listeners, listeners out there that we can go over towards the end of the episode, I would say. Awesome. I love the mail. Keep yep, it coming. Yep, yep. Yeah, if you want to reach out to us with any feedback, y'all, please reach out to us at contact.soapbox.house. And before we get into the episode recap for tonight, let's do a little bit of housekeeping We want to tell you about some of the shows we got going on, what we have going on that's new on the channel. We are covering currently, as you know, Foundation Season 2. We're releasing instant reactions and deep dives every week. Instant reactions coming Friday early morning and deep dives around 9 p.m. on Sundays usually is what we try to stick to. And then in the midweek, we are covering one of my favorite series on Apple TV, Invasion. And we have a unique approach on it because I've watched Season 1 already. But Zach has never watched the show, so he mm-hmm. is experiencing it for the first time while we are trying to do a commentary of season one just in time for the August 23rd season two premiere, which I am very hyped for. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm hyped to watch episode two. I still haven't watched it yet. I'm holding Oof. off until we get closer to recording it, man. It, it's a tough one to like not to not binge watch because I yeah. binge watched that thing over over COVID. Now... And in addition to that, we did a series on Silo. If you out there are not familiar with it, we're seeing some steam picking up for Foundation Season 2 and our coverage of it. We are doubling our numbers from Season 1, which is nice to see. So thank you all out there. And we, we're glad you're enjoying the show, if you're enjoying it, because you seem to be tuning in for it. So if you like this one and you haven't seen Silo yet, you're in for a treat. And we also covered that one pretty deeply, instant reactions and deep dives all the way through Season 1. It's a really fun watch. It's a really fun listen on the Story Archive show as well. We're also covering Black Mirror. We can get around to it. We're covering season six. And we have some other series that we've done in the past, like Peaky Blinders, if you're in the mood for a good old gang story, mafia type uh, epic 
surrounding a very famous and in actor right now, Killian Murphy, mm-hmm. who is leading Oppenheimer. So, and I can't wait to watch Oppenheimer. I think I'm going to go next week to watch that. Yeah, I'm debating when I'm going to go. If I want to try and go this weekend or go next week. I think it's going to be too packed this weekend, but it looks phenomenal. And I've been trying to avoid watching the trailers just so I can really enjoy the full movie. I've seen the teaser, but that's about it. I Yeah, I have refused to watch the full trailers for that. But let's be honest, Zach, you're watching Barbie first, aren't you? Totally, right? Yeah. We'll see. I think there's no shame <laughs> in it. I, I definitely want to watch them both. There's no either or here. I'd rather watch Oppenheimer. Like, I want to go to the IMAX. I want my ears to be blown off. That's what I'm looking from, forward to. From Oppenheimer. But I kind of am interested in watching Barbie too, which apparently it is pretty much destroying Oppenheimer in the box office right now. So... Well, it's very pop culture-esque, the, isn't it? The the marketing campaign for Barbie is like un, unbeatable. It's just ridiculous. Have you been seeing all of those mashups, the, the Barbenheimer? I haven't, but I did oh, see man. there's a woman out there named Barb Heimer, and huh. uh, she's having a hell of a week. I bet she's a little upset. No, but if you haven't, go look We're up. happy. Go, that's true, too. Go look up Barbenheimer. It is hilarious. It is just a mix-up mashup of like these two completely different worlds coming together people have been creating a bunch of artwork graphic design and i've seen like a very heavily edited version of like i I, it may have been the trailer for for barbie i'm not quite sure but it it looked hilarious okay i'll check that out um and i think the audience will as well in addition to that we have done a facelift of the website if you go on over to soapbox.house you will see a newly designed soapbox network website and you can expect to see some updates on that soon and we're also doing some research on the back end because we've had a few of you out there reach out saying you're interested in listening to these episodes ad free and we are working on a solution for you out there for those of you who may want that perk on the channel in addition to that as always subscribe to the show leave us a nice five-star rating we'll leave a description in a link to in the description for you to be able to do that and thank you so much for the support as always Let's get into the episode. Let's do it. I figure we knock that out now. We don't got to do it later, you know. Yeah, you save a little bit beginning. of time on the back end, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, let's get into it. I think that, you know, I did watch a YouTube video today of this guy absolutely tearing apart this season, like hating it, like every piece, every shred of it to death. And I was like, get a grip a little bit here, guy. But, <laughs> you know, I have no complaints about season two. Then again, I am not somebody who has read the novel, mm-hmm. so I'm not attached to the source material. I'm not offended, you know, like I am when I watch Harry Potter, the films, when they skip very key things like Dumbledore's funeral. Mm-hmm. Here, I'm all in with these characters, although I still feel it's heavy exposition. Like, we're still getting a lot of explanations and upon explanations mm-hmm. on top of explanations. I feel like this this second season has really ramped up, and it's a story that feels more grounded. Like, you can actually... It feels like we're not going to be doing too much time skipping yeah. this season, right? I, I agree. I mean, this season already, I mean, we're two episodes in. It feels wildly different than the first season. Um, you know, it, it, even the characters, like the characters for some reason to me feel more human. Like they feel more real than yes. they did in the last one. They're just, they're a little less poised, a little less formal. I like even it. Harry, like even Harry, by the way. Oh, Harry's, Harry's like, <laughs> far less formal than he was. He yeah. hasn't changed his shirt in 138 years. No. Nope. Uh, <laughs> poor guy who goes to the afterlife has to wear the same shirt he died in. It's horrible. Oh, man. Uh, no, but in, well, to your point, it, it is one of those things where the characters are more 
living it's not so much like the narrations we're getting way less of the narrations from gail we're getting mm-hmm. more actual action occurring in these episodes and it makes me wonder really like the introduction of the mule right and the yeah. alluding to hober mallow maybe we get like a mid-season time skip you know where gail goes into a cryopod and we wake up 150 years later mm-hmm. i could see that occurring like around episode five or six but I do wonder, like, is Hober Mallow going to be a thing where maybe this goes to season three and we haven't met Hober Mallow yet and it's a big cliffhanger at the end of the season, you know? I hope we don't get that far into this without finding out who Hober Mallow is. Because if we don't, I feel like that means we won't see Harry on Terminus. Like, he seems adamant about not coming out until this Hober man is, is here. Well, it just seems, but it seems to me like Hober Mallow is like the overarching nemesis of this series now. Because we, we get this new sort of, mm, let me say plot line that could occur here, right? Mm-hmm. Where power corrupts, right? Yes. And that's just a common thing, human nature. We know that unchecked power corrupts. Just check history. You don't believe me? Just read a damn history book. Anyways, <laughs> if you leave the foundation unchecked, Harry says it's going to turn into the empire. And you get these heavy vibes in this episode when they're having the roundtable talk about who's going to go speak to, in the, mm-hmm. to Harry in the vault. There's this really dark feeling in the room that it feels very bureaucratic. It feels very oh, yeah. empire-y. And there's even something I caught on the rewatch. There's like this mannequin wearing this this cloak in the background that looks it feels so much like Cleon the First and the Principium. <laughs> um it's obviously not, but it feels dark. It almost looks like the Sith is behind this guy as he's talking. It's really dark. When we get to that part of the episode, we'll go into it. But let's get into the start of the episode, which we find ourselves in Synax, still trying to escape the planet with Gale, Salvor, and Hologram Harry here, which I'm still figuring out, you know, is this Harry only here because the Prime Radiant is in the vicinity? Uh, how exactly that works? Yeah, I'm not quite sure either, but it seems like he may have, like, tapped into the, the ship system, and that's how he's able to manifest himself somehow. No, I'm not quite sure how he's able to just, I, I, I guess... Uh, haunt the ship like that but that's what it looks like to me yeah well we find out that was pretty much confirmed the raven the ship that gail was docked at when she woke up from her cryo sleep was destroyed and she stole harry's consciousness without his permission by taking the knife Mm -hmm. that race used to kill harry and in doing so she deviated the entire plan she's the reason the plan is off course when they look at the math in that prime radiant cube prism thing it's the reason. It's because Gale stole his consciousness in such a way that it deviated the starting of the second foundation. So, right now in the timeline, the second foundation has not uh, has not uh, been founded yet. No, no, it hasn't. And I would say it's it's been a hundred percent confirmed that the raven raven blew up. Um, and you know, Harry, Harry, Harry might be a little nicer than I thought. I, he he kind of got over this whole being locked away for 138 years and tormented for all that time thing a little bit quicker than I would have. Well, you got two options, right? You either sink to the bottom of Synax or you fix the ship, get off the planet and try to get your plan back on track, right? I don't know, man. Let him sweat it out. Feel more conflicted. I think he would have if there wasn't an actual <laughs> hurricane bombarding their ship. Yeah. Um, when, he, when we start the episode and he goes, what did you think would happen, Gail? It reminded me of this old Skittles commercial. Uh There's this old Skittles campaign where like the whole marketing campaign was like 
these imaginary characters who lived like in these these just these hell like circumstances. Mm -hmm. And one of these guys in this commercial was this chocolate pinata. He was like a brown pinata. And he walks in, he's like, he has crutches, he has a like a cast, he has like a bandage over his head. Mm -hmm. And he walks in, he goes, What did you think would happen, Dave? <laughs> did you think that hitting me with that bat? The little chocolatey candies would come popping out. It just kind of reminded me of that with <laughs> Harry when he's like ta having a little talking to with Gail there. Mm, that's funny. I still like the uh, this new domesticated claw man. It makes me. Oh yes. It makes me wonder like what we're gonna. There's got to be a lot more creatures in this season than there was in the last season, and I, I feel like they're gonna be more like companions now versus just like. Yeah, we're out in the wild trying to fend for ourselves. I'm curious to see what other what other things come along. Yeah, I mean, we are finding domesticated bishops' claws, and you know, that's the first type of creature we see in this. But mm -hmm. I want to take it back to Harry on the ship because we find out that his consciousness is pretty much split. At least right now, it's split in two. We have Harry who's on Synex, and we have the Harry who's on Terminus, who is MIA at the moment, aside from burning one of his followers alive in this episode. Yep. And we know that their consciousness is split and separate from each other because he doesn't recall meeting Salvor on the planet of Terminus, so much so that he he almost speaks about it in a way that they, they're connected, but they're disconnected. Yes, I got that too, right? Like he, he almost like has like a little mental breakdown there when he has like forced himself to realize, no, you're not there. You don't know what's going on. And not and not just that, but at the end of the episode, Terminus Harry's asking for Hober Mallow. So how else would he have that information unless he was somehow That's a great connected point. to to Harry on the ship? That is a great point. I've been trying to figure out how they uh, or how he was able to, to know that name over there, but that makes so much sense. Yeah, and there was a neat sort of detail I picked up at the end that I want to freeze frame at with the ship when you see um, Warden Jaeger. Yeah. Kind of grandstanding in front of the vault, which maybe is the reason he got burned to a crisp. Because it felt very ingenuous, disingenuous. Yeah. It it was very forced. And he he even in the uh in the room when they were trying to dis or when they were deciding who was gonna go up to the vault, it felt very much he felt very much like Empire at that point in the way that he was very, talking. Very, you know, kissing Polly's ass, but at the same time vying only for himself. He's like yeah. a snake in yeah. a way. Uh but if you see the vault, if it's everything's blown out, like the everything's like clipped, you know, mm -hmm. the, everything in the background's white. But if you really peer into the vault when it's in front of it, you can see something like almost shaking in the wind. Hmm. It looks almost I can't I couldn't figure out if it looked like flames to me, like in destruction, yeah, or if it looked like a forest or something like that. But it looks like a setting, like there's actually stuff inside of the vault. Hmm. We'll freeze frame it when we get there. But let's get to your favorite planet to say, what is it called? Sewena. Sewena on the outer reach, and we find out that this is a planet that they are trying to recruit with these this faction, so to speak, from the first foundation that we get uh, a reference to in the first episode called the Magicians. These magicians represent a church of the galactic spirit because they have formed a religion of about Harry Seldon now, and it is a very once again I'll use the word disingenuous religion because they are using the the myth or not the myth or they're pretty much creating these machinations about Harry Seldon that they all know are not really true, mm -hmm. but they're using it in a way to recruit these outer reach planets, maybe preying on them because they don't seem like very advanced civilizations, if you ask me. 
Yeah, they don't. Uh, I think uh, one might say that they're just still collecting people at this point. They're just using these this little magic, which is very cheap magic, by the way, uh, to try and recruit all these people, get them get them interested. I don't know what yeah. the rest of the Outer Reach looks like, though, but I mean, I, I can't imagine that they all look like Sawena, not when we had uh, Thespis and... Um, why am I forgetting that? What's the name of the other? Anacreon. 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 Um, th those two civilizations seemed much more advanced than this one. Yeah. The, to the point of them trying to recruit these people to join the foundation, they're not getting a very warm welcome because one of their clerics was tied to a tree and stabbed in the chest with a dagger and he died by lightning strike so yeah their evangelistic practices are not being very welcomed here their missionary practices if you whatever you want to call them here <laughs> they don't seem very deterred though by the fact that this that this cleric of theirs has been killed they, it was very they i don't know if it was just a poor performance or what but the whole sequence in sawena felt very comedic to me like even up to the point of the magician show later on it felt so comedic that it reminded me of I mean, for some reason, I'm always just tying these shows with Star Wars and Game of Thrones, but it reminded me almost of like the bar in Star Wars where it's uh, like just very wacky. Yeah. It just, it just felt like a wacky planet to me. These guys with the 10-gallon hats coming out, uh, just <laughs> cowboys out of nowhere in the middle of space. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they were deterred from it at all. I, I, you know, maybe this is a commonplace. I don't know. Maybe these people have just accepted their peace with like, look, we're doing this for the greater good, whatever they believe the greater good is. So they're okay with it. I'm not quite sure, but it didn't seem to phase them at all. No, not at all. But they are dealing with a situation where they may be ambushed. So that becomes a sort of conflict in this episode before they get the news that the vault has opened. But let's kick it to Trantor, where perhaps the most interesting storylines are taking place at the moment. And unfortunately, we find out that 150 years in the future, the Empire is no more, according to the mule. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, I heard a little bit about this character, the mule, and I don't know if I should say it or not, because I guess it's technically a book spoiler, but I don't know. We'll get into it, but let's just say the mule is a very interesting character and a very interesting heel to to, to combat the foundation, if okay. I had, if I can just leave it there. Okay. On Trantor, Cleon meets with Demerzel almost in secret, right, for a report, and he is studying the chroma mural of Empress Hanlo and Empress Amenetek, who had a dynasty that was 4,000 years prior to the Cleonic Age and spanned two millennia later. So it's actually, it was more successful. And I think he's using this example of this natural dynasty, right, of yeah. natural birth as a reference for why he's in the right, where his reasoning is for doing this and branching off from the Cleonic dynasty. Now, it does seem very flawed, but this Cleon the Seventeenth is creating his own new vision. He's probably the closest to Cleon the First. If we had to, I mean, it may be an unpopular take, but he's sleeping with Demerzel, which mm -hmm. is a. Uh, we find out that Cleon the First was romantic with Demerzel. He had stuff going on there. Cleon the mm Seventeenth -hmm. is doing the same, and Cleon the First is the one who set off this whole dynasty thing. And now you have Cleon the Seventeenth, who's kicking off a new dynasty. Yeah. Most everybody in between kind of just played their part. But, I mean, we've been talking about how e each of these versions of Empire have their own, like, individuality right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he seems to be the first one to really truly take action and make a significant change. Yeah. Well, part of that change starts with 
dealing with what's going on in his own house, right? His brother said, get your house in order, brother. Mm -hmm. His brothers are clean. Apparently, they had nothing to do with the assassination attempt, according to Demerzel. However, that's not good enough. And she does leave this little (laughs) loophole in there that perhaps they don't remember planning their brother's assassination, which is not incredibly far-fetched. But seeing the way Demerzel's acting in this season is so out of character from the Demerzel we got to know in season one that something just doesn't sit right with me. Something feels off about the way she's acting in general towards this very rebellious Cleon the 17th. Yeah, I feel like uh, Demerzel in this episode, or more so in this season, knows more than she's letting on to. Kind of like another character that we know, right? Harry? Maybe. I I haven't really put that connection together. I've been trying to draw the parallels, and it's not, like, extremely clear to me, but something feels off with her, clearly. And I feel like like there's an issue between Demerzel and and Day, or Demerzel and the Cleonic Dynasty, whatever we want to call it at this point. I think it's very much in play. The idea that she could be going completely rogue, completely off script of her programming at this point. Mm-hmm. Now, she goes the extra step of not just doing the memory audit on the on Dusk and Dawn, right? Yep. She also wipes the memory, memories of the medical staff to wipe their memories of seeing, seeing Cleon and her compromised. Yes. He kisses her on the forehead. They're still having their little liaison going on here, so... I can't tell if she's actually into this whole situation going on or what's going on because it does not seem that an affair with Day in any way advances the vision of Cleon the First. So part of me believes that something has been altered in her programming or she through over through years, through centuries, she has something has snapped. And remember the last image we see of her is her ripping her face off at the end of season one after snapping Don's neck, mm-hmm. right? After promising to not let him get hurt, right? Yeah. yeah. We also, it's got to be a big enough deal to include it in the title sequence because one of the the new elements in the title sequence of the show is the skull, it's Demerzel's face and mm-hmm. half ripped off the flesh. So something's going to come out here, but it's v- very interesting to me and it's, Strange because she has him isolated in a way that she he only confides and strategizes with her. He is he's even going so far as strategizing on who is going to be leading the the front uh, against the foundation, right? Yeah. And she's appointing the people. She's giving her opinions. So if she's corrupted, then you know she is part of the cause of everything going downhill here. Yeah, and I mean th- this. Uh potential future queen to be really does seem like a threat to her like every like i I can tell she's clearly dissatisfied with her but she like like her power and what she's able to do right now seems very much uh, at risk it's strange to me because day doesn't seem enamored with queen sarith right and she's not the queen yet but she's dominion from her planet as she calls herself so she's the ruler of the planet she comes from Mm -hmm. um or at least that's what I understand from, from the show so far. He doesn't seem enamored with her, so to speak. It just seems like she seems like the A-plus pick of all the galaxies. She is the one, right? Yeah. Who is it's the, a strategic move. Yes, it's an alliance with that planet. It's well, Obviously, they had an alliance. I think the Empire already is involved there. Mm-hmm. But if he was going to pick anybody and break 
you know, centuries of tradition, you know, break it with the most eligible bachelorette in the in the empire, you know? Yeah, of course. If you're empire, why not get the best he pick there? He should have done like a whole like Book of Esther style beauty pageant of the, you know, in the galaxy. They, you know, they should have done like a whole plot line like that. Maybe that happened at some point between these two seasons. <laughs> Maybe. You never know. Like there was like all vying to be the, yeah. the thing about it. If it's, that's a big deal mm-hmm. for the Empire to like marry someone for the first time in what? At least oh, 170 years? About, yeah. I mean, 17 right. generations, right? Oh, so more. Yeah. Just to say like, yeah. 1700 over, years? Close, close to 2000 years probably. Yeah. That's insane. That is a long time. Yeah, well, what are your thoughts on Demerson here? I just thought that she just seems a little too giddy uh, of going along with all of his plans and, and musings. I I don't know how to process it just yet. Like, I something's telling me something is off, but I, I need to see a little bit more of this develop before I can really determine, like, oh, this, is, this is really what I think is happening. That okay. said, if I had to bet, I mean... Well, I guess this isn't much of a bet at this point. I've said it a few times, right? Like, I, I think there is a, like a rift between Demerzel and Empire, and I don't, I don't quite know what her motives are yet or what the end goal is. But I, I feel like she's not playing on their side. She's playing on her side. Yeah. Well, if she's not playing on their side, then her appointee, appointing of Bell Rios to take out the foundation is a strategic move to further divide the empire because you got a 15-year military veteran Mm -hmm. seems to be honest incorruptible according to her and his only crime is not having obeyed day and the decision ended up paying off so his decision to disobey day was the correct decision in the flanking maneuver yeah that he did in whatever war that was and he seems to be a prisoner too now right he's a prisoner yes he seems to be a political prisoner now Mm. Did you catch Day's tantrum monologue? I did. I didn't pay like tremendously close attention to it. It was just like a woe is me. Uh, no, there, there, wasn't a, there wasn't a lot there. It was a very much woe is me pity party yeah. that he was doing. But we don't really see Day have these tantrums. No, no, not, not in the past. Not at all. But he catches himself. He says, he asked Demerzel, how long did you expect that my tantrum or my outburst to last? He says outburst, not tantrum. Yeah. And she says actually under what I thought it was going to last. So he is aware of his, I think his deviation from the way the traditional Cleon acts, if you ask me. I think they're all completely aware. Yeah, it was. It, she was expecting a minute and a quarter. Um, he just seems the furthest away from it to me well he's also got the most power right now i mean and to be fair we haven't really seen much of just dusk or just dawn it's been mostly day and it's been day thrown into these situations that we've been seeing with the whole assassination attempt and betting demerzel and this whole outburst right like i haven't seen enough of them to really know what they're up to other than a nice little greeting and oh here's some cool paints and all of that but i i think that they they're all They've all deviated, absolutely. I think they all know that they've deviated. And they they go to the point just a little later in this episode where they actually have somebody come in and train them on the habits of Cleon the First, right? Yes. Like that's really what they're being trained on because they, they've fixed the DNA issue so that that part is resolved. But they still have to have to practice and work on their habits to be to the out uh, outside the same man. Yeah. Can I lay out my case for Demerzel conspiring against the Empire? Go for it. I'm I'm excited to hear this. I don't really believe it. So, I actually am not 
I am not in this camp yet, but if I'm from stacking evidence like a lawyer here, the assassination attempt happens while they're having sex. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the moment that the, the assassin comes in, she says, look into my eyes. Look mm-hmm. at me. Right. Mm-hmm. Two, she seems to be putting a wedge of distrust between Day and his brothers or his other selves mm-hmm. through this whole, maybe there's a loophole. Maybe they actually did try to assassinate you a whole bit. And three, promoting somebody who could be a a usurper in a way, Bel Rios, right? Who yeah. has a following, who has people think he's this hero. They lauded him like tremendously with awards and whatever and praise from the people. Uh, you know, that's my case so far. It seems like it. I kind of thought it was it was also interesting to hear the um it was the timing of, of these two things for me that, that Demerzel talks about, right? Like she does plant that little seed of, uh, you know, unless they don't remember, which might imply that, I don't know, they wiped the mind or the mind was wiped. And then right after that, she follows it up with, by the way, I wiped the mind of the medical staff so they don't remember. Well, the other part of me, the reason that I don't believe that she's behind this mm-hmm. is because two things. Okay. One, she's a literal killing machine. The way she killed Halima, Zephyr Halima last season, she can touch you yeah. and kill you with a poison yep. silently. Two, Cleon the First seems to have given her the right to kill any one of these three whenever she wants because she kills Don because she thinks it's going to um, be, uh, be bad for the Empire, right? Mm-hmm. I think she has the clearing to kill any one of these three whenever she whenever she pleases if she feels that they have gone off the path of Cleon the first. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that if the directive would would be quite as as much as like a license to kill more so like like your primary directive is to protect the Cleonic dynasty. I may be thinking about this wrong though because if I was saying conspiring to against day specifically mm-hmm. in the at first, but if she's conspiring for the whole empire to go down, then you can just add those to the list. Yeah. Because if she sees that this guy's out of control and that this is going to be the end of the empire, then she's going to let him go down this path of destruction, right? Yeah. And try to accelerate it. Yeah. Maybe she's changed religions and is a part of like the, what is it? The galactic what? I keep forgetting to look at her wrist to see if she has that little salt bracelet on. We might see it in a minute. Oh no, she doesn't put it on her wrist. She wears it around her neck. He yeah, put it day, on his wrist. Day wore it on his, uh, on his wrist. She has, she has this high collar. You can't really see it, but. Let's move on to the next scene where the brothers Cleon are having dinner and we get that interesting bit that they are, DNA is the exact same as the Principium even though they are born with deviations from it. So they have found a way to, not that scene, um, the one prior, that they have a way to get back to the purity of the DNA of the original Principium clone. However their mannerisms, their habits have to be orchestrated by a coach who stands by their side to make sure they're perfectly aligned and appear unified. Yeah. And Day does not want to be unified. I don't think like Day very much wants to be on his own. He wants the power. He wants the control. He wants his brothers to follow his lead, not to be the same as him. Is it just this clamoring for the sense of individuality that we've gotten to the point in this whole Cleonic dynasty where it's not good enough for him? He wants to be more special because all of these guys, when they become day, they all say the same thing. They want to pretty much be better than the one that came before, right? Mm -hmm. 
Is this just his way of branching out even further than that? Probably. I'm. I'm. I'm sure. Like there, there is a hunger for power. Like you don't want to give it up. I mean, think of think about this. If if he completely changes things here, and you know, we we don't have this same progression that we've had for the last seventeen generations. That means there, like the time limit on his, you know, reign of power is his death at this point. It's not. Oh, well, Don's old enough to be day now and I'm old enough to be dusk. Therefore, we're just going to kind of switch places and, you know, move on. I, I think he wants to retain power for himself. And yeah, I, I do think there's this element of he wants to, to do his own thing and he wants to have his own legacy. Like, that's really what, what this comes down to. I just find that, to your point, and I agree with you, I just think that dusk and Don, they're getting such little screen time alone. Mm-hmm that it makes me wonder what they're up to in their alone time. You know, they're so off screen, either they're plotting and the showrunners don't want us to see it or they're not. And they're just, you know, they're just in line and it feels like they're not reacting enough. This is literally, mm-hmm. this, this erases everything that they, that they've been a part of. It you does. Know, Don, Don would have no purpose. He would never become day. It does. They, I mean, there, there is, a lack of reaction with them. I'm also a little thrown because well, now they are their own individual, right? Um, but it's. I feel like it's also very early in this season to to determine. You know, like are they really doing something off screen, or have we just not gotten the episode that is their prime time? Right, like that's what I remember from season one. Like there were key episodes where the focus was day, or the focus was dusk, or the focus was dawn. And I, I, it may just be that we haven't gotten to that. We haven't seen that that side of things yet. So I, I don't know what they're doing off camera at this point. Or oh, yeah. If it's bad. I, I would assume that if they start to see this marriage situation ramp up even further, that they will try to do something. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go to the beggar. We get some more discussions between Gail, Salvor, and Harry here. It's got to be kind of crazy for Salvor to meet Harry face-to-face for her personally because... Her whole life, she's been hearing about this guy, and here she is having one-on-one conversations with him, right? Well, she did see him once on Terminus, so this is she did. This but is just the think about time. it. I mean, it was this, it was like in an audience, right? Like it was he's talking to this group, right? This is literally like meeting a celebrity here or something. This is like the whole "never meet your heroes" quote. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> that always exactly, lets you down, man. I mean, Warden Yeager heard learned that the hard way. Never meet your heroes. Oh, <laughs> Never meet your prophets, <laughs> or you may burn alive. Crazy. Yeah. Impure. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, or never make a god out of a man, and this you know you won't burn alive. But yeah, that's true. Uh, I think it's always interesting for for us to see Harry because we see how human he is, and then you see these people worshiping him like he's a god, and you see just how messed up he is mm-hmm. in all in his own ways, and it's just uh, kind of a, a peek behind the curtain that makes it harder to. Uh, by the way, I like Harry. I'm Team Harry this season, you know. So I've oh, created from my season one. Uh, reaction but they discussed the second foundation gail admits that she pretty much stole his consciousness because she was <laughs> mad at him for for the way everything went down with race right mm-hmm. but she also explains to salvor that harry doesn't tell you everything and we get a double down from harry there where he explains they're not to interfere with the war that terminus is going to have to fight with the empire and he's resolute on this point of needing to keep the first foundation in the dark about the existence of the second foundation. 
which reminds me of a certain individual in Silo who does not share the optimism <laughs> that everyone should know the complete truth. You add too much to the system and you will disturb it. Harry thinks that if you add too much info, give too many people information, it might throw everything apart. And instead, the foundation should be guided by select individuals who have an understanding of the psychohistory math, just enough to steer everyone else, as they just say, judiciously and with intent, and to quietly adjust the empire's course if, or the first foundation if needed. So they could actually adjust the empire and the first foundation's course. And that is the point of the second foundation, to be that invisible hand, that invisible force that keeps the plan on track, which makes Gale's F up all the more horrible of stealing his consciousness. But if he would have just told her a little bit more about the plan, maybe he never, she never does that. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of blame, blame him for it. Right. Like if, if we're on the Raven and you knew the success of your plan was predicated on you making it to Helicon, don't you think you would, you know, confide in the one human being on that ship that could screw that up? If Harry's going to have any character growth, it's going to be that he needs to trust people. Yes. At a certain capacity. But we also find an interesting little plot twist where now, 138 years later, he say he makes the comment that I mentioned earlier that power corrupts and the foundation left unchecked becomes empire all over again. Mm-hmm. So Harry thinks like anything, the first foundation could become an enemy. Yeah which is interesting, but we also find out that Gail felt something in the Radiant, this despair, death, destruction, and she blames herself now for throwing the equation off when she saw Raish kill Harry, which I think is a bit harsh, and I think she's overdoing it there. I think, I guess that was the first domino that did everything, but it seems like it's putting too much weight on that one action. Like, she didn't do anything wrong there. Well, I mean, it's the first domino in, in, in a series of them, right? Like, in a way, the events that we're experiencing today and will inevitably, unless things are changed, experience in the future, I mean, they, they are a direct result of that happening. If she didn't get out of the pool, it wouldn't have happened. At the same time, if if Raish didn't put her in the pod and just got in the pod, maybe that wouldn't have happened either. I don't, who knows? Maybe maybe she would have died or gotten killed. Maybe. I don't maybe. know. But it, it does seem... It does seem like that was the first domino in all of these things, and I get why she blames herself, but she should blame Harry more, man. Don't lie to but, me. But we find out that there's a being that exists called the Prime Radiant, okay? Yeah. What if the Prime Radiant is kind of steering this a little bit too? I think that there is another element here aside, outside of the math mm-hmm. where maybe she is also steering and sees that actually this is the path that needed to work. Harry's math wasn't 100% correct. In fact, they needed Gale and Salvor for portions of this plan that Harry didn't anticipate. Interesting. I mean, we, we do know that the Prime Radiant can take in information and, and learn, right? I mean, it's it's basically a... All right, whoever wants to hate on me for calling it a cube, but I'll call it a cube. Um, I mean, it, it almost kind of seems like it, like its own being. It, it, can, it can change. It, it can help, you know, solution would be my guess at this point. And it's just full of math. Like, that's what it is. It's it's a bunch of different math and equations. Yeah. Well, we find out that the disturbance is going to take place approximately 150 years in the future. And that Gale's probably going to be there for it. So, Gale's, I guess, just going to keep hopping in cryopods and getting through this whole series, right? Like, hey, all right, 150 <laughs> years? Boom. Maybe. I, it might 
start taking me out of the show if if that happens again and like it we can only do that a few times we can't just be like all right we're heading to the next season so go get in a pod and we're gonna have a big time jump i and you know i don't i don't know that we're going to i'm not making a prediction saying that we're not going to have time jumps i i would be surprised if we don't honestly but i don't think we're going to see as much as we saw in the first season i think we're going to continue to be maybe a little more real time and in the moment with these stories sorry i disagree i disagree with you um i think that there will be more time jumps if they're actually going to tell a thousand year story there's no way you can't without the time jumps however i totally get it the whole plot device of having this character time skip across you know a thousand years yeah is a little bit much to kind of feel grounded in the series but Mm -hmm. let's get to the next scene Uh, we have a dinner with queen sarith i just keep calling her queen sarith because i feel like her marriage with this guy is just a done deal like it's just going to take place kind of feels like it yeah She's only, she's the only one asking the tough questions in this whole scenario. I mean, everybody's being a little bit too coy with what's going to happen here. There are tremendous repercussions to this marriage that we have already referenced, and she's bringing them up in such a confrontational manner that her little assistant, Rue, says, oh, she's going to talk herself out of a marriage, <laughs> okay? <laughs> because she's essentially attacking everyone at the table in a way. She goes so far as even to kind of She's poking at everyone, trying to figure things out, right? She gets confirmation on the assassination attempt. Mm-hmm. She tries to get Demerzel to eat at the table with them. That confirms that Demerzel's not human for her. So she's confirming a lot of suspicions of what's going on. She even rudely asks to go see the Principium, to see the bodies in jars. And references to Dawn that his whole purpose is going to be eviscerated if she marries Day. That your purpose to live is completely gone. So... Yeah. Uh, I feel like there will be some um, people caught in the crossfire here <laughs> eventually. Like some, There's going to be some bloodshed over this marriage. There, I, there has to be. You can't yeah. just let him get married and end the whole Cleonic dynasty. No. And I mean, I don't think anybody outside of this, um, this castle, whatever we want to call this, really is aware of you know, the, the issues here. I think it's very localized to this, but... I don't think they would want to put up with this dynasty being ended either. Aside from ego being Day's driver here. Yeah. Because I don't know what else it would be. Because I don't truly believe his... I don't truly believe it comes from a place of wanting the best for the Empire. I think it comes from a place of wanting to put himself above everything, right? Mm -hmm. He thinks himself so great that he wants to deviate from the Cleonic line, right? She finds herself in a position that she didn't expect to be in because we learn a little bit more about her backstory, that there was this crash or the Zeppelin crash that disrupted her family line. She was not supposed to be the ruler. In fact, her sister was trained in leadership. Her brother was in the military and she was allowed to be a dilettante who just pretty much played sports and learned the arts and music and all that. But now she finds herself dominion with no education on how to rule. And it kind Mm. of explains why she's so... just upfront about everything. She's not playing political games. She's not, she's cutting through all the BS. She's going straight to what her questions are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, that said though, she is extremely fixated on the death of day. 
I wonder why she quoted that. And this is in the trailer where she says, rejoice his shame remains unknown that he had almost sat a throne. And she says, it's about an uprising. The empire banned it years ago. She senses that the empire is weak. And that's the reason that they want this marriage with her, this marriage alliance. So she obviously is ambitious because she alludes to wanting to rule the empire in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or at least for her kids to. But the plan here is if they get married, they say if there's kids running around the castle, they're going to drain those, drain the principium, drain the bodies and use the energy for something else. Yeah. Yep. What well, do you think about the political posturing from Sarah? And what do you think is the outcome here for everyone involved in in the palace? I mean, I, I think they both have a lot to gain, both specifically being Sarath and Day, right? Like she's going to have support of a, or more support of a ruler and, and somebody with the experience of ruling. Day is going to be able to just take over and really own everything that's going on. This is This is going to be the pivot to his legacy, which... I don't know. Is, is that is that the downfall of the empire or or what? There's no backup plan. You can't just decant a new person. If no, somebody dies, they're not done. if they're drained. Not at all. Exactly. So if there's no backup plan, then they are completely. He will be the last day, unless Don grows up to be day who doesn't rule. Right. Yeah. So I've uh, maybe a civil war is coming to the empire in terms of literally within within their own palace between Day and his brothers, who knows? But let's go to Sawena where we have this girl who is the daughter of Cermak, who's the director of the foundation. But for some reason on IMDb, she is unnamed in this episode. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what role that will play here, but I also noticed her eyes were very blue. Okay? Yeah. And there was a character whose eyes were very blue 138 years ago named Hugo. Mm-hmm. So, I wonder if there's some sort of connection here between Hugo and this girl that we're seeing, but I could be wrong. Part of me hopes Hugo's alive and can reunite with Salvor, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's dead either. Yeah, I bet I bet you're hoping that. You got to you got to bet uh, hanging I, on that one. Do I? We haven't done a wager on all yeah, this. You did. You, you called that out as a wager on the first episode. I did? You did. Right, well, I'm, I'm so okay we'll with that. We'll see. I'm okay with it's po- Look, I mean, if he if he's alive, I'll I'll still be happy even if I lose the wager there. But Yeah, I'm okay with that. I definitely yeah. have the weaker hand on that one. But um, they get confronted on this planet by these cowboys before they put on this... <sighs> the only way I can put it is this borderline comedic show. Mm-hmm. where they pitch the galactic spirit of the foundation. <laughs> and I just put kind of a bad idea to actually knowingly make up a religion to fool people into submission. Mm-hmm. Is that, how is that a strong plan? Is that, is that a plan Harry would like? But we even have Polly here, who's the little kid. He's like the little Indian looking boy who's yeah. in, in the first season, who's one of Salvor's, uh, you know, he's kind of like little a little tag along. Yeah. He's like with all his friends there and they... He actually plays a role in saving uh, Salvor at one point from Farah. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the old man now and the high cleric. He is the highest position of this order. And he himself is a little disillusioned with everything here, whether whether they should be doing what they're doing. And at least that's the vibe you get from him in this episode. Yeah. He's, you know, maybe, maybe he's not happy with it either. Like that's, I think that is a possibility. Maybe he just like has, has, you know, submitted and is like, okay, this is, this is my job. This is what I have to do. We do know that he is a a drunk, unfortunately. Well, maybe that's why he's drinking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
drinking and doing drugs there. But the gist of their message is that they recruit planets to join the Foundation by promising the second coming of Selden as he leads his people to a galactic paradise. I was like, that would sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of using the, they're just giving hope to these people here on different planets. But in a way, it's true, right? That Selden will return and lead his people. But it's not in like a spiritual way. It's not like a pray to Selden type of thing. It's more of like he's left things in place here mm-hmm. where the vault opens. He comes out every once in a while and gives some guidance or burns alive one of the followers. You never know. <laughs> like, I yeah. don't know how you come back from that. Personally, like from, if you're from burning the, um, I'm just saying, if you're there witnessing this, he's the he hasn't been around for 138 years. He comes out and then he burns your warden to death. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I That's don't know why guy there. I mean, when I, it didn't feel like a hairy move. I'll tell you that much. Although. It Although did, right? Your, it felt like this hairy's gone dark or something. Well, like that. you know, I, I thought like, like, is there like a spirit or something outside of the vault that is just like, you shall not pass. <laughs> it's just trying to prevent him from coming. Like, I didn't know if there was like something external interfering, but since you drew the, uh, the, the connection of, well, if Harry knew the name Hober Mallow, he has to have some connection to the other Harry, right? Like there has to be something somehow there. Maybe he's kind of tormented too over the last 138 years. I don't know. Maybe. Well, Polly and Nameless Prophet Girl go back to Terminus after getting a message that the vault has opened. And then we go to the beggar. But I actually wanted to mention something that you missed, Zach. Dang and it. maybe you caught it on the deep watch. Okay. Like deep dive. There's this old guy there who is definitely a spy from the Empire, in my mm. opinion. Mm-hmm. And I wrote down a note here. He's watching the girl and he hits record the moment she utters that she's from the Foundation. Like he mm-hmm. hits his eye the same way the commander did yeah. in the first season. So he has that sort of technology. So the Empire is aware of everything going on in the outer reach at this point. They are watching everything. Yeah. Okay, let's go to the beggar where... Probably one of the most intriguing parts of the episode occurs, if not the most intriguing. Gail needs to focus into the future in a way that like Harry's her Obi-Wan here. Mm-hmm. She turns off the oxygen because she needs to be stressed because in old Synaxian, the word for prophecy meant to be submerged. So she needs some sort of very high stress environment or equivalent to yeah. get into this prophetic state to be able to look into the future. And so we get this really cool, almost seizure-inducing scene where the camera spins around and it's very, you know, if you, if you are at risk for a seizure, do not watch the scene, but it's very well done. Um, she's warped into the future and hunted by this Terminator-looking guy called the Mule. It's a very dark scene. People are hanging everywhere. I mean, literally people, there's, oh, I dead. lost they're count fried. of how many corpses are there. I couldn't, ch- I couldn't really see make out which city this was or where we were setting-wise. And I think obviously that was on purpose, but we get this sense that Gale has this group of warriors called the Mentalics. Mm-hmm. And they have lost this battle. Whatever this is, they have lost it. Now, whether they can turn the tides of the future and get victory in that battle later on mm-hmm. is to be determined. But in this vision that she has, it is all doom and gloom. Well, it also makes me think that they, they didn't just lose the battle; they lost the war. If that's if that's your like commander no. in chief there dying, 
I don't know if she is or not because she mentions that the mule is interrogating her for the location of the second foundation because they feel that the second foundation is the only thing that can stop Mm. whatever they're doing. Now, it's interesting because the mule is able to, he's protected against Gale's power because he's able to see that she is peering from the past, from the time of the empire before, as he put, quote unquote, before Hober Mallow pierced the height of the empire. Now, the way he speaks of Hober Mallow, I couldn't tell if Hober Mallow was still alive in his period of time mm-hmm. or before, or whether he was a figure of history who brought down the empire years prior to him. Yeah. I would, if I had to bet, I would say he was a part of history, but um, it, it, I didn't think about the way that, that the mule had said that. You know, I, I didn't interpret it the way that you did. I thought it was just, you know, realizing that somehow she she was alive back in the time, not so much peering back from from that time into the present reality. That said, I like your interpretation more than I like the way that I was perceiving this. Did you notice the mule also had very blue eyes? I couldn't I tell if there were some sort of devices, but very blue, Vespin yeah. type blue. Yeah, there, there's been a few characters in this episode that seem to have pretty blue eyes. Yeah, I would like to look up who the actor is who plays the mule because he looks very familiar to me, but maybe you can pull that up. Moving on from the vision that Gale has, we find out that the location of the second foundation is on a planet called Ignis. And so that leads them to a new path now where they are trying to go to the planet of Ignis to start the second foundation. And lucky enough for them, it is under a parsec away, which I don't know what a parsec is, Zach. Do you know what a parsec is? Uh, it's been quite a while since I've looked up what a parsec is. Is that an actual term? Uh, I parsec? believe it is a term, or maybe it's a brand. I'm not quite yeah. sure. Well, Salvor and Gale can hear a voice calling out from them to to this planet, and it makes me wonder... Do you think it could be who I think it is? Who? Who do you Raish? think it is? Raish? I don't, I'm not, hmm. I don't know what to believe. I mean, he did get ejected into space. Yeah. And everyone gets mad at me when I say maybe someone, someone's still alive. Everyone <laughs> in the comments is always like, oh, what is this, a trick? What is this, a trick question every time someone's dead, they're not dead? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Until I see a body, they're not dead to me, you know? Yeah. Who who was it that you were just saying might be Raish? Raish. Raish. Who? The person who, who calls out to them ah. from Ignis. Okay, got it. That would be interesting. That would be that'd be very different. I'm I'm you know that that part of the whole whispering kind of felt more like the force to me than than the initial just like uh peering into the future thing. But I do have a couple answers for, for what you were asking about. A parsec is equal to about three point two six light years or roughly 31 trillion kilometers. Okay. Also, the guy that plays the mule, his name is Michael Persbrandt, and he plays Michael. Bjorn in The Hobbit. Michael Purse? What? Michael? How do I spell that? Persbrandt. M-I-K-A-E-L. Persbrandt. P-E-R-S-B-R-A-N-T-D-T. Okay, let me look it up. What do I know him from? That I don't know. We're going to find out right now. Go find out. 
You're gonna you're gonna look this up live. Land the this Hobbit, guy. Like you said. He He King does Arthur. have a very familiar face. King Arthur. Okay. That's what I remember him from. Hmm. Okay. Moving on here. Let's go to Terminus. Terminus has heavy Empire vibes. We meet some new characters here as Polly and the nameless girl arrive. We meet Pater. Pater. Peter. How do you say this guy's name? Pater? Pater. The mustache. The mustache man. Oh, I, I'm not I'm not great with names. I'd have to see it again. Maybe a love interest of the nameless girl here as she enters the gates and meets Pater. You can see his face again for the first time. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is Pater. Oh, this guy. Yeah. I think uh That's Pater. a love interest hug. Yeah. Pater. I mean, Pater, Pater, something like that. Not Peter. Where are people getting these accents from? Nobody has a uniform accent in the foundation. Like this guy has like a Eastern European accent. Well, they are collecting people from all over the place, so who knows? It's true. It's true. Well, let's get to the meeting. Let's push past all this this stuff. This, this is all filler. Let's get to the meeting where I want you to see this Sith like cloak figure behind director Cermak here okay mm -hmm. okay as Paulie's talking to him oh yeah positive. you saw that I saw that okay hopefully everyone out there as they rewatch the the show they can look at whatever this is back there because it looks so ominous and it's just standing back there in the dark with these two hitman looking people standing on either side of it even the uniforms of these <laughs> new foundation members look almost like Gestapo Okay. <laughs> Look at that. What is that thing back there? It is the darkest. It's like a statue. It's like a cloaked statue. You're right that it does look like a Sith. It does look like the Sith. Like he's whispering in Sir Mac's ear and putting bad thoughts in there, you know? Yeah. It's very creepy. And, and it has the, <laughs> the, all the sense in the world that they have lost their way from the old foundation. So much so that you even see bust of the of like historic figures of the foundation. You missed it if you go back 10 seconds. You'll see Salvor Hardin all the way on the left. Uh, I think it's a little prior to this. Keep mm -hmm. it there. You'll see it as, right after Polly talks. You'll see a shot of the their yes. posit. Forty five minutes and thirty five seconds. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, you, you'll see Salvor on the left. We don't know who who that is in the middle. Maybe it's Louis Pyrene who sacrificed himself for the Foundation previously. But they are putting busts up there like the Empire does, honoring their their former um, emperors. Right. Yeah. Definitely. They, I mean, they, they are following an alliance of what we see Empire look like at the very least. Yeah. Well, they've brought Polly home, who's the high cleric of the Galactic Church of the Spirit or whatever the heck this church is called. And they're putting him on crowd control, which confuses me as to why they'd bring him home. Just for If that. they weren't going to allow the last living person who spoke to Harry Seldon or who saw Harry Seldon to speak to Harry Seldon. Mm -hmm. And instead, it's a bunch of political posturing with a bunch of nameless faces at this table who are quiet as can be. And I have not quite gotten a pulse for this guy, Cermak, yet and whether he has good intentions for the foundation. But he has every, every bit the feel of a villain and not a good guy to me. I mean, a lot of these people here do. I mean, even, even the warden seems pretty self-interested. He seems Polly, like he's just hungry for power. Like he's like, yeah. look at me. Yeah. Now, Polly's being a bit egocentric here for not being the one who gets to talk to Selden. But at the same time, he, he's also calling them out for for being like the Empire. And he calls out Cermak for looking out for profit. Mm -hmm. 
instead of for the prophet Harry Seldon, I guess. Yeah. So whatever's going on here, whatever Polly's able to feel, I can't tell if it's from a sense of annoyance and anger that he wasn't chosen to be the one who gets the honor to speak to Harry Seldon. Mm-hmm. Or whether he genuinely has this intuition that something's going to go wrong. Because he says to this, to the nameless girl who's the daughter of the director of the foundation, he can feel it in his bones that they're making a mistake. Yeah, I I don't know that he has any intuition or anything like that, like, like Gail does, but... I mean, I, I would be a bit upset if the thing that I, I had kind of set out to create, whatever this religion or whatever, seems to, to have become bastardized to a degree and, you know, is now just, it's a weapon. It's, it's really what it is. Yeah. Let's get to the vault activating. Warden Jaeger goes up to this thing, the honor to speak to Harry Seldon for the first time. And it's a very cringy scene. It's just everything about it feels very much like, look at me. I am the one who goes on behalf of the people to speak to Harry Selton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, th- this, 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 again, it, it feels to me kind of like the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant thing from, uh, from Indiana Jones. Just, you're not supposed to be this close. You're not supposed to see in there. Yeah. And do you notice when he's standing in front of it, if you pause it here, you can see stuff in the background of the vault. Now, whether it's lines in the same patterns we see on the outside, I but they look like it. they're like it's moving. If if you continue to hit play, it feels like it looks like there's movement. Like that, the vault will take you somewhere. It almost looks like everything's on fire on the inside. Yeah, I think it's the same pattern that we see already. But you you know when you're outside and you look out in the distance, like down the road, and it's hot out, and you can just see like it looks like it's moving. Like that's what it looks like. To me, it looks like like it, maybe it's because the Hober Mallow thing and the destruction and the death and the fact that this guy is lit on fire mm-hmm. that makes me feel like I'm seeing fire, like the actual flames moving inside of the vault. But anyways, Warden Jaeger <laughs> gets lifted into the sky and starts repeating the name Hober Mallow over and over again. Mm-hmm. Burns alive, the entire vault turns black. And the name Hober Mallow is etched in a fiery lettering across the vault. Yeah. And everyone's left with the same question that the audience has. Who, Who is the hell Hober is Hober Mallow? Mallow? <laughs> crazy. It is crazy. I, and I hope that we don't have to wait an entire season to find out. Like this, this was a good enough introduction. Let's, let's get the reveal. Yeah. Oh my God. All right. Look, I know I think Rache is alive, but I know Warden Jaeger is dead. Yep. There's no coming back from that one. Uh, what do you no. think about the the font the font type of Hober Mallow? Well, it's cool. I, I like it. It's it's a little different than the than the foundation font that we've seen typically, but yeah, it's a nice Feels little hand handwritten element here. Yeah. To end the episode, we go back to the beggar where we get the bombshell news that Gail hid something from Salvor and Harry in her vision. And what she hid was that in her vision where the mule knocks her back with his laser beam, she sees Salvor lying next to her dead. Mm-hmm. And that is the end of the episode. Great ending. Yeah, it's just very, very hopeful, right? Well, 
it's hopeful in a sense that we know the future can be changed, right? According to the foundation and the, the theories that Solid War has here. Yeah. But if it can be changed, then my theory is, I think Gale has like this, part of this episode, I saw that there was more of a bond being formed between Solid War and Gale, mm-hmm. you know? And I could see Gale sacrificing herself for her daughter later down the road if it comes down to it, where the way the future changes is that Salvor lives and Gale dies. And that would be like the final full circle moment between these two as mother-daughter. Yeah. That's my prediction. I could see that happening. Will it happen? I, I, I don't know. But if you're if you you're going to want to do something different. Like if, you, if you've seen the future, you're going to do whatever you can to change it would be my guess. Especially if this is what it looks like. Or maybe because you did all those things to try to change it, this is the reason you get the faith that you got. That that is also true too. I don't know what the uh, the reality is here. I mean, I the way that, the way that Harry speaks of this, it does seem like the future can be changed, right? Like, I, I guess the thing that I don't know is is she seeing the future the same way the math is seeing the future, or is she seeing like some predestined thing that there's no other alternative that will happen and i don't know i'm hoping it's the former i'm hoping it is something that if, you know give it a little bit more information and you'll change the outcome yeah all right well let's get into the category zach for this episode it was a great one mm-hmm. i'm sort of happy and bummed at the same time that this is a week to week release because i just want to binge the whole season man <laughs> but all right let's get into the categories all right category number one who was your favorite character Favorite character in this episode. Oof. I might have to say it's between Queen Sarath or Lady Sarath mm-hmm. and Harry. Okay. You? It's a tough one. We get we get a lot of good moments from different different people in the episode. I don't I don't know if I would give Harry this one. I might go with Day, actually. I might go with Day. I I almost went Gale, believe it or not, on this one. (laughs) I like, I mean, I like her. I I think that they they did great in this episode. But I I think I'm very interested in what's going on between Day and Sarah. And I've got to pick something on that side of the story today. Yeah, got you. All right. Next category is what was the best scene? Best scene was Gail having that trance-like moment of going into the future. I thought that was interesting. It was a wrinkle of the show that we didn't know was possible that she could do. Uh, It was an awakening of her powers Mm -hmm. and an introduction to an epic villain. Okay. I like that one. I'll pick a different one. I'll go with the dinner. The and dinner Sarah? between Sarah and and Day, yeah, and well, and okay. the rest of Empire, at that okay. point. All right, best line of the episode. I've got two. Same. I've got. Let me see if I can find it. I always write them in quotes in my notes. Um, got it. This one's from Day because Day is the one who always has the best lines. <laughs> Enemies in my home. Foundation poaching the outer reach. The Empire squirms in my hands like an angry cat. <laughs> okay, what's your second one? Get over Mallow. <laughs> that was a, 
a great, great ending to the episode. Yeah. I like I like the uh give a girl a fish, she eats for a day, give uh teach a girl a fish. And let me let me just get that left off. Uh the other one that I, I thought was I, I liked that I, I chuckled a little yeah. bit was the We're not branches. We're of the same tree. We're oh, all the same man. Same. <laughs> they say it at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> what about the line the mule says to her when she when he kind of says like a little it's like a rhyming poem to her. Mm. Who is that that I see peering back at me or something like that? He says something along those lines, you know? He does, yeah. That was in, that was an interesting one. Yeah. That Hober Mallow pierced the Empire's hide. I thought that was a cool line too. So <laughs> there's a, there's always a lot of epic lines in these these episodes. Well, that's all, right. all I got. That wraps it up. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's deep dive edition of our foundation coverage on Story Archives. We hope you tune in to the rest of our shows. As we said earlier in the episode, we are covering Invasion, and we're going to be picking up with episode two of Invasion in the middle of the week to keep you satiated until you get to your next episode of Foundation and to introduce you, hopefully, to a new show that you hadn't seen before. So, all right, Zach, hit us with the outro. And don't forget to mention our newsletter. Alrighty. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Foundation by Story Archives. You can find this podcast anywhere you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can find us on YouTube at Soapbox Podcast Network. You can visit our website at soapbox.house. Email us at contact at soapbox.house. And there is a link in the description below to sign up for our newsletter. Yeah, we didn't get to the email today that we had, but maybe we can hop on and do a short email episode later on the week if we receive more feedback but who knows maybe we'll get to it all right let's do it send in the email so we can have a mailbag yes 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 all right you got it what's the what's the quip come on oh uh, i don't know if i know it by heart by now but thank you all for tuning in and until next time respect and enjoy the peace is that what it is it's please respect and enjoy the peace please respect and enjoy the peace there you go all right peace